showed mercy on us who didn't deserve it. Wow. God, that we were languishing in our sin and in our disobedience and in our desire to follow our own ways and do our own things, and yet you sent your Son. Precious, sinless, spotless lamb as a sacrifice for us. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We can't do anything to continue to deserve it. And so God, we rest in you. God, I pray that as we worship together in your word today, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reach deep places in us. Relinquish past. Look to your cross. And just rest in your mighty love. God, I thank you for this time to be together. I thank you for everyone who made it out in the rain and the dreariness. I thank you that you have um, given us this time. And I pray that um, we would worship you well, Lord. Guard my lips. God, empty me and just be present, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Don't sit down. Sorry, I know that's where you were headed, and that's why I needed to jump in here. Okay, so um, we are a family, are we not? Um, so as a family, take a short period of time to greet everybody. Introverts, I know this freaks you out, I'm sorry. Extroverts, no, this is not an excuse to run to the other side of the church to greet somebody. Just somebody right near you, say hi. Even if you've known them forever, exchange names, because they probably forgot your name, Okay. <laughs> Alright, start migrating back to your seat, extroverts who moved. I see you don't sit down though yet, because I still have one more thing for you to do. Okay, so I need you, I know you met a lot of people. I need you to focus on one person who's near you, and I need you to do something for me. Okay, I need you to reflect across this week, and I need you to, um, to Tell the person who's around you, next to you, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's somebody else, um, what you did this week, okay, now this is going to be maybe a little weird and kind of a strange transition, but what you did this week that you think made God proud of you, made him love you more than he did already, okay? So, so I need you to just, and hopefully that won't take a whole lot of time for you to figure that out, or maybe it will, or maybe something, but just real quickly, I just need you to turn to somebody, and I need you to, to report that to them.
love you more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love you, more proud of. Yeah, well, I think pride's kind of an extension of love, isn't it? It's kind of... <clears throat> all right. Uh, yeah, you can... <laughs> I love you. <laughs> yes, you may sit. Thank you. Um, welcome, welcome. I know that um, Aaron already welcomed you, and uh, although there were only half of you here at that point, so, um, and now I know what it feels like, because usually it's my family, and we're uh, rolling in a little late, but... But there is mercy for that, right? There is grace that covers. And so welcome. For those of you who are new to Big Woods, um, my name is Drew Talbot. And, um, and while that is not important, what is important is that I get to serve a mighty God. And, um, and you do too. Uh, and I pray that's why you're here today. Um, we, uh, I, I, I'm just so thankful. I don't know if you are for the worship that we get to enjoy every week. I... I just, um, it's amazing to me that we have the ability to come before a holy God and just lose ourselves in worship. I mean, and I hope that is what you experience when you worship, that you just get to forget about yourself and you just get to concentrate on the majesty of the one who created you, the one who loves you. And, uh, and you just get to explore that in song and worship. And I'm just so thankful for Matt and the team. Uh, week in, week out, they're just constantly preparing their hearts, um, coming before us to lead us in worship. And, um, and I, I just, I think I really hold Matt dear. I love all the elders and all of you, I'm sure, at some point. But uh, <laughs> I could just spend more time with them than I get with the midst of you. Um, Matt's the one that keeps us real. Um, I remember when we were moving into this uh, sanctuary and uh, we were struggling with that. Do we let people drink like coffee in the sanctuary? Like, I mean, we got brand new carpets. We got... And, and so then the, the word went around, well, maybe we shouldn't let... Maybe we should just have it out there. And Matt's like... That's not Big Woods. Like, that's not who we are. Like, that's, we're just, we're a stain on the carpet kind of people. And, um, and now we got sippy cup lids, but hey, you know, um, it is what it is, right? It is what it is. I feel kind of obligated, um, to do a couple of things. Number one, to warn you that I think I hold the record for longest sermon. It took a couple weeks, uh, to make it happen. So, I'm hoping not to, to make that happen today, so I will keep rolling. Um, but the other thing is that it seems like everybody has something to drink up here. So I brought mine, my obligatory water, water bottle, and uh, so I'm going to take my obligatory drink. All right. I noticed Zane had this coffee mug thing going, um, so no water bottle for him. So that's good. Okay. There is freedom in Christ, and I love that, and, um, and that's where we are today. Um, I hope that some of you realized that um, the question that I asked you to report to one another was kind of a trick question. How many of you kind of figured that that was, how many of you had trouble answering that question? Um, I'm hoping most of you did, um, because you see... I think most of the time we live our lives in a manner that makes it seem like um, somehow the way we behave, the way we act, the way we do our lives somehow alters how God sees us. That somehow he is like this 
reciprocity thing, right? Now, I know reciprocity is a good thing, and I know that, that you could point me to Scripture that talk about reciprocity, but, but when I think about our position with God and how God sees us, and I see this deeply ingrained sense of justice in us, and I don't know if that deeply ingrained sense comes because we are created in His image and He is a just God, or if it's because we've been trained so much as we were ra- being raised that, you know, what you give, you get back. The stuff comes around and, you know, today we call it instacarma, instant karma, right? You sell these videos about people doing something bad and something whack happens to them and it's kind of funny at some level, but um, I guess you can laugh at that. I don't know. Um, but it seems to me that we often lose sight of the fact that it doesn't really work that way when it comes to our position in Christ. That it doesn't really work in a way that we are somehow trying to hold on to the grace of our God. That we are trying to make Him love us. That we are somehow, some way, trying to do the right things in the right order however that looks, to earn the love of our God. And I'm, the focus of today, if you get anything out of today, I want you to hear that Paul's message to you today is that is not it. It's not about what you do. It's not about if you check the right boxes and if you um, say the right words and you get up at the right time and you whatever. Um, that's just not how it works. And so um, in our exploration today, I pray that we can, um, can look at that, that there is nothing that we can do that's going to make, make God love us more, that he has loved us to the fullest extent um, possible. And, um, and even though we struggle and we fall and, um, and we fail sometimes and it feels like we're letting God down He still loves us with an immeasurable love. Do you agree? Amen. And I'm hoping that you rely on that. Um, Now, I know that um, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he tells them that the way we build on the foundation of Christ, wood, hay, straw, um, that somehow that results in loss for us. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. I don't know what that means when we get to heaven. We're saved, but somehow we feel lost uh, or feel a loss um, because of the way we've treated the word of God and the way we've, we've spoken to others and shared the message of the hope of Christ. Um, but I think that there's a bigger picture, um, if you will, about who it is that justifies us and, and how all that works. And every person that's spoken thus far in this series has, um, has focused on the centrality of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, that everything that is done for us, no matter what it is, <laughs> was done through Christ's work on the cross. I love the picture that um, Matt gave us when he was talking about, and this wasn't a new picture necessarily, I had, you know, heard it before, but this idea of a judge who pardons us. But what I love about the way the picture was painted was that the way we live our lives after having been pardoned 
is not so that we earn his favor. <laughs> it's not so that we earn his favor. The favor has already been earned. Um, and so any expression that we have as a desire to please our maker should just come out of thankfulness, out of a, a deep sense of, of awe and respect, and not out of some sense of obligation that, um, that somehow if we get it right, that, um, that things will go well for us or that, um, that God again will love us more. So uh, Stuart set me up last week. I don't know how many times, Stuart probably knows, how many times in him <laughs> is in that last passage. Everything is in him, in Christ, over and over and over again as an emphasis of the fact that we simply don't have much to do with it at all. We didn't earn it. We can't hold on to it. In Christ, ordained and carried out without our doing anything. Wow. I love this picture um, that's painted at the uh, end of the Stuart section 14 and 15 that, um, that nailed on this cross is um, the record of the charges against us. And I've seen pictures that have a bunch of things nailed on the cross, and I think sometimes we get this wrong. Because I think sometimes we think about it being our sin that's nailed to the cross. And, and while I see that, what's really nailed to the cross is the justice we deserve for the sin that we've done. It's the record that's mounted against us over and over again. We live... We try, I guess, to live well um, once we've come to Christ, but we just don't do it well. And so everything, every sin that has accrued for us the wrath of God, when we become followers of Christ and confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, um, and they're gone. And we sang about it today. I mean, they're cast into a sea without bottom or shore, <laughs> that it is removed from us. And in verse 15, Paul says this. He says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, most commentators will look at that and they they interpret rulers and authorities as demonic and rulers and authorities. And, and I... Totally get that. Um, but in light of what Paul's about to say in the rest of this, um, this, the rest of this chapter, it seems to me that at least part of what he's talking about is the authority that this kind of man-made, rule-driven mentality that I've got to earn somehow what God wants for me and that authority that it has over me is broken. That, that sense that I have to abide by a Levitical law or some kind of cultural expectation of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ, that the power that that has over us is gone in Christ. Now, I want you to hear me out because I'm sure some of you are saying, ah, oh, yeah, but we're called to live this way and that way and the other way. And I'm going to let Kenny unpack the, <laughs> that part of it, um, <laughs> chapter three, um, because yes, there is a call um, to for us to live in a particular way. But today, I just get to bask 
at the end of chapter 2 that quite honestly just says you are loved and God has got you and there's nothing you can do that changes your position in him. So I guess before we get going too much further and get into the the actual text, I'm going to make my first point. Okay, so um, here it is. The first point. Cross, Christ's work on the cross alone, that's it, secured your position with God. Now, I know you probably didn't need me to tell you that, but that is critically important for you to understand, that it is Christ and what he did on the cross that makes you able to have a relationship with him. Okay? Nothing else. That's it. And again, I think we've heard that message over and over again um, in this book. And, uh, and so it, it bears repeating over and over because I think we're really, we have a hard time remembering that. Um, that it really doesn't have to do with us. It's Christ's work alone. All right. So let's read um, my section. So my section is... Um, 216 to 23, and I'll admit that I was um, second to choose, and so I stole Matt's wonderful passage. Um, and so uh, follow along with me. Uh, I'm going to read it off the screen just like you are. Um, so, uh, so hopefully that's big enough that you can read. Is that font okay for you guys? Can you see that? All right. That's the teacher in me. I'm sorry. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath, these are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, on worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Of no value. Hmm. So, what I'd like to try to do for you is... um, is maybe try to paint a picture a little bit of what's going on in the church. Uh, you see, Epaphras came to the church. He preached um, the gospel message. Lives were changed. People were shaken. They were serving a new Lord, the Lord Christ. And um, and they're doing life together. And and they're they're coming from different walks of life. Some of them are Jewish. Some of them are are Greek, right? I mean, they're just kind of like all over the place, and they're trying to figure out, all right, what should we look like, <laughs> right? I mean, they're trying to figure out this sense of, all right, we're not the people we used to be. We're, we're, we're different. We've changed. We're, our, our lives are totally 
shifted from what they used to be, serving ourselves and doing our own thing, to now worshiping God and serving Christ and, and one another. And so they're trying to get a feel for, okay, so, so what does that mean about what things we should do and shouldn't do? And, and that seems like a reasonable question to ask, right? I mean, you're called to be set apart, to be different. And so what does that really look like? I mean, what does it mean to be set apart? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And so they're trying to figure it out. And, and I can imagine <laughs> some of the people are like, whoa, 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 wait. What? We've got this. We've got to see... When God revealed himself to our fathers, right, these are the Jews, like, he gave us a way to demonstrate we were different. Like, he gave us these cool festivals to have, and they happen three times a year. We have monthly meetings, right? I mean, we're, we're worshiping him. We're doing all kinds of things. And, and these things set us apart. I mean, they, they serve to kind of promote our, our focus on God. And, uh, and then just so everybody knows that they're, we're different in case they couldn't tell before. All right, we've got cool eating things we've got to abide by, right? So I mean, like, like I can't eat pig, but I get to eat other stuff. And, and I can eat fish on Fridays. Well, I don't know. I can eat fish whenever I want, I guess. And, um, right, I have all this kind of stuff that I can do or not do to demonstrate that I belong to God. And it's the Levitical law, right? I mean, it's all the things to abide by, all the foods you can eat or not eat, drinks you can have or not have, right? You name it. Probably how you could dress and how you should act and all these different kinds of things, right? And so you have... Right? I just kind of briefly threw up an outline of the Levitical um, law, right? We got lots of sacrifices and these different festivals, Sabbaths, right? Um, different ways of dealing with blood and sacrifices and blessings and all those kinds of things. I mean, it sounds good. At some level, it sounds like, yeah, that's kind of nice, like... Man, if I could have five things I could do to demonstrate that I'm different, then that would be really easy for me to keep track of whether or not I'm being Christian. Right? I mean, and don't we all kind of want that? I mean, at some level, aren't we really good at trying to quantify how good we are? <laughs> like, like trying to demonstrate, like, I don't know, how was your conversation with the people around you? When I asked you to report what you did that made God proud of you, Right? I mean, did they include things like helping somebody cross the road or, or volunteering service or maybe they were really good things like you went to church last week or you told somebody that you love them or, right? I don't know. I don't know what it was, but a lot of times we get these things that seem pretty much like this, a set of regulations, a set of things that I can do or can't do. And, uh, and they, for us, then kind of equate, right, how good we are and how much we're loved and what our position is in Christ. Well, just so happens that they weren't the only people that were hanging out in the church um, in Colossae. And so we've got another group that's like, oh, wait, 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 let me, let me get this straight. So God loves your soul, Right? Your, your soul, he, that's what's going to live forever, not your body. And your body is kind of like a distraction, right? I mean, because your body has all these desires and these wants and these kind of move you here and there and all these kinds of things, right? And so 
what happens if I teach my body to leave me alone? In other words, to not distract me. Like, what if I develop a sense of being so used to my body screaming at me that I don't ever listen to it anymore? And so you have a whole group of people who said, hey, I think what you really need to do, I'm like, you want to kind of like, don't drink this and drink that and don't eat this and don't eat that. Let's take it to the max. I mean, if you're going to do God, let's do God, really. And so we've got a whole group of people who are doing this asceticism thing. Okay, so now, I don't know if you, how familiar you are with ascetics um, as people or asceticism as a philosophy, but in essence what it says is that deprivation gets you closer to God. Okay, now God is defined in different ways in different religions, right? Um, so if you look uh, at a very famous example like Siddhartha Gautama, um, Buddha, right? He, he said, hey, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to deprive myself of all worldly things and that's going to get me closer to enlightenment. I'm going to be able to be one with God. Interesting, he found that that didn't really work for him, but we don't need to say much more about that. So, But the idea is that, man, I mean, if I, if I really... Uh, okay, so the, the women on the right, just for commentary's sake, as uh, a group of uh, ascetic nuns um, in a province of China. They eat once a day at noon, and they sleep four hours. And, uh, and anytime they're not sleeping, they're either meditating or working or doing something to demonstrate the poverty of their body and the reality that they can't... Um, in an attempt to kind of rid themselves of themselves. Um, Better nails, I, there are all kinds of ways that you might look to to help prove that you're really a follower of Christ uh, or a follower of God. And the reality is, is that, yeah, it's just not going to work that way. And... Um, and in fact, we have one more group. I don't even know what they were talking about. Um, go ahead and click the next one. Some commentators said that it's like maybe the angels had a part in the food rituals and things like that. And so that kind of got them to angel worship. Uh, the only thing that comes to my mind is Joseph Smith having been visited by an angel. And he has this vision of what following God is supposed to look like. And, yeah, and so there you have, right, um, the kind of Mormon faith. Uh, and so what does Paul say to all this? Let's look. Here's what Paul says. He says, amidst all of this stuff, all these things that you're succumbing to, he says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ, a shadow. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you are still alive in the world do you submit to regulations according to human precepts? Now, this really confused me and I'm like, Paul, what, what are you talking about, man? Because when I think about me dying to the elemental principles of this world, I think about me dying to sin. Anybody with me? I mean, does, does that kind of sound like that's what it's saying? 
It sounds like the elemental principles as I would interpret them would be if in Christ you died to like sinful desires and things like that, right? Then why are you still alive as if you were still alive in the world and you submit to regular I was just kind of like, Paul, you've got to help me out. Like, I, I, I don't know, what are you saying? And praise God, Paul did. He helped us out. Because the church in Colossae wasn't the only church that was having this issue. It just so happened that the church in Galatia was also kind of in this funk. They were kind of in this kind of sense of, well, how do we do this? And so Paul writes a letter to them. So I'm going to kind of like sidestep my passage for just a little bit so that you can see some of what Paul uh, did in addressing this. And maybe this will give us a little bit better sense of where Paul is going. So here's Galatians 4. And, uh, and it doesn't start in 4, obviously. There's more backdrop to this, um, and we'll hit a little bit of it. But, but let me start here. He says, I mean that the heir, 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 not error, heir, uh, as long as he is a child is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Okay, so, so far, we've got a kid who owns everything, go back a second, don't distract him yet, um, who... <laughs> All right, so we've got a kid who owns everything, but because the kid doesn't have full understanding or knowledge about how to do life, right? And we know that there are lots of kids who, once they get freedom, make really stupid decisions. Um, You're put under a manager, right? So somebody's going to help you out. Somebody's going to help you make decisions or going to help kind of rule your world and do things like that. And this is going to be for your better, right? Okay, so next. In the same way, We also, when we were children, I don't think he means children, children, but when we were ignorant, when we were uninformed, we're enslaved to the elemental principles of the world. Okay, so here's this phrase again, the elemental principles of the world. All right, so think about the elemental principles of the world as being analogous to the managers and those who are in authority. Does that make sense? So the elemental principles of the world are not sin, It's the management of your behavior in light of the potential for sin, okay? So you think about this kind of, these are the managers. Keep rolling. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We were slaves, We were slaves to the elemental principles, the elemental principles, those rules and regulations, the Levitical law, the things that had to guide us because we just didn't know God. We were, we were estranged, estranged from Him, right? Because we didn't have Christ living in us, right? Nobody before Christ had Christ living in them. They were selected, they were elected, but they didn't have Christ living in them. And so how were they to know how it was that God wanted them to be if not for some manager? For something over them telling them how to behave. And that's exactly what we saw. But guess what? God gives us adoption as sons and daughters, right? Um, as part of this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Don't change yet. Sorry, we're... Working together here, since I don't have a clicker. Okay, oh. <laughs> so, 
Do you feel that? When you came to know God through Christ, did you feel his spirit inside you quicken a desire to cry out to him as daddy? And, and what an amazing gift. What an amazing gift that the almighty God, king of the universe, ruler over all, put inside of you who came to know him a desire to love him with a deep and meaningful love. To say, daddy, daddy. Not just, hello father, how are you? What is your plan today? It's daddy. Draw me close to you. I want to know you. I want to be like you. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I want to follow you. And that doesn't come from the Levitical law. It doesn't come that way. Jump to the next one. I've got a little, little side note as part of this. Um, in 1 John 11, I'm sorry, 1 John, yeah, that would be 1, <laughs> 11, um, through 13 and 16 to 17. It talks more about us, this adoption, this, this process. He says, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That is Christ, obviously. Um, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I think we hit that already, right? You didn't do anything to secure your position in Christ. It was nothing to do with you. It was only to do with the grace and mercy of God who brought you into his family. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Man, how we need it. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Came through Jesus Christ. Click through for me for the next one. So, we're no longer a slave. Right? We're a son. We're a daughter. And an heir. What does that mean? We're an heir. Hit this thing for me. I should have. Uh, okay, I've changed my slides. <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. So formerly, when we did not know God, this continues on. Um, we were enslaved um, to those that by nature are not gods. Again, the law of this thing. Keep rolling. But now that you have come to know God, now that you're no longer children, no longer estranged, or rather be known by God, here we go again. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Like, that just makes no sense, right? I mean, it makes no sense. Excuse me. Water's so underrated or overrated. I'm, I'm feeling really, maybe a little. Is it okay that I do this? I don't know. I've never actually had a monster before. But since I was up really late last night. All right. Later, I'm going to eat my Swiss roll while you, uh, while you hang out and watch me. Just so you know. Um, uh, 
because I didn't really have breakfast this morning. Um, so you observe days and months and seasons and years. And this is analogous to the, to the same thing that we saw in, um, in Colossians, uh, that they've got these new moon festivals and they've got all these things um, that they're doing to try to earn God's grace. And, um, and so in Chronicles, if you really need to know what those, what those things are, um, look at that. What it does is it just says how important. Hmm, that's good. All right. I'm not sharing either. Okay. They're to stand every morning, thanking and praising. Go back, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Maybe. Click. All right, you read it already, right? Okay, so, you were to stand every morning and evening and praise, sing praises to God, or to Yahweh. And, uh, and you were to do these things as often as they were necessary. And, um, and so, there we go. Right? So customary require of them regularly before Yahweh. And this is what the Levitical law taught us. That we really needed to do this in order to be justified. In order to actually um, uh, inherit the, the love of God and the favor of God. Okay, keep rolling. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I have labored over you in vain. Wow, what would make Paul say that? I'm afraid you click for me. Earlier in Galatians, he says this to them. He says, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by faith and hearing? Have Having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be made complete by the flesh? Like, do you think that what was generated in you through your faith, through the Holy Spirit, somehow needs you to make it complete? Like, it somehow needs your, like, help? Uh, and, and if so, do you think you're really capable of doing that? <laughs> Like, uh, okay, so um, Paul's like, if you adopt this mentality, you totally have lost what God desires for you. He put in you the spirit of Christ that longs to call him Abba, Father, and now you're taking that Abba, Father, and you're saying, no, you know what, I'd really like to kind of formalize this. I'd really like to make sure that I'm checking off all the boxes. I have this picture in my mind. Okay, so how many of you... Okay, so the youngest ones probably won't understand this or maybe have experienced this, but for those of you who have dated, okay, that includes those of you who are married. I assume at some point you dated, right? Um, when you found somebody that you were, um, like, interested in, were you yourself or were you a, a false self? Were you who you are, or were you a better version of who you are? All right, whatever that means, right? Like, cleaned up, like, right? I mean, you made sure that you actually brushed your teeth, and you, you know, like, put deodorant on, and, right? It's, how long can a relationship last like that? Right? I mean, one day you're going to fart, all right? 
I mean, it's, it's good. Can I say that in church? I think I can say that in church, right? And it's all over. I mean, you, you might as well, I mean, it's like, it's like you walk outside to check the mail and you haven't gotten ready in the morning and your hair's a mess and you're in your bathrobe and, and you're just like, Lord, I'm going to sneak out to the mailbox and I'm going to sneak back and somebody sees you and they actually like what they see and they accept you and they change you in a significant way in your heart and you think that the next time you see them you'd better make sure you're showered and you better make sure your hair's right and you better make sure all this other stuff how ridiculous is that but that's how we treat our relationship with God oftentimes that somehow I have to reach this standard of cultural expectation of whatever it is, maybe it's our own expectation for how it is I'm supposed to be. And it's not a real relationship. As long as I'm trying to worry about being so good I'm failing to receive the grace that God's given me. The love and acceptance he's showered on me. Now I know you're gonna, you could point me to lots of scriptures about why I shouldn't drink Monster, okay? Because it's not good for me. And my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. I get it. And Swiss rolls probably aren't the highest level good for my body. But I have freedom. And you have freedom. Because God desires a deep relationship with you. He desires to know you in a way that no one else knows you. He desires for you to be open and honest with him. And to stop necessarily worrying about all the right things you're supposed to do. And to instead grab hold of his love and let it change you from the inside out instead of from the outside in. That's the best the law can do is try to change you from the outside in. And that's not the kind of relationship that yields a life changed and powerfully used by our God. <clears throat> in Matthew... 11.28, Jesus is talking to um, people around him and he says, Come to me, all of you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you're taking on all this stuff. And I know... If you're like most people, you have a sense of obligation to meet people's expectations. I don't know what exactly that is. Maybe it's how well you cook food, or maybe that's how well you, you know, care for others, or maybe it's um, whatever. I mean, I felt it this week. I'm like, oh man, I want a PowerPoint presentation to like 
rivals everybody's and I want like, you know, to be so cool and everybody to like me, you know, right? And it didn't work. <laughs> so, and the reality is, is that God's not looking for that from me. He's looking for a yielded heart that longs to just serve him and love him and worship him. Keep rolling. Second point, which hopefully you've gotten. Christ's work on the cross freed you from the slavery of cultural expectations. Now, I know that you're... We could argue about this, and, and I don't, I'm, I'm talking about things that are not clearly sin here, okay? I, I'm, I need to make that clear, that God is a righteous God, and he desires for us, right, to live a holy life. Keep in mind, your sin is already forgiven, okay? So even in that, your position in Christ does not change, okay? You're not maybe going to be forgiven sometime. Okay? If you know Christ, your sin is already cared for. But Paul specifically here is talking about those areas where right, you have freedom. And that means food, that means drink, maybe that means dress, that means right, all kinds of things. All right, let's see. Do you think if your bread has a scripture on it, that you somehow are more spiritual? Like, like I don't... I mean, I appreciate it and all, and, and I've eaten it. It's kind of, you know, tastes healthy, um, right? But, but is this going to get me any closer to God than this will? <laughs> it might get me, right? It'll keep me from him longer, maybe. Uh, <laughs> right, but who doesn't love Wonder Bread? I mean, come on, squishy bread, right? Right? I mean, okay, my Swiss rolls... I, I've already showed you I really like I haven't had Swiss rolls in a long time so that was really nice um, but I guess maybe carrots are better for me I don't know they don't taste as good but you know what you eat right now I realize that we can abuse all of our freedoms and if you look at Corinthians you see Paul talking to a church who had abused their freedoms they were so busy doing whatever they felt like doing that they were failing to represent who Christ was. They were failing to show love. They were failing at walking um, in the spirit that God desired them to walk in. But that's not this church's problem. That's not this church's problem. This church is hung up on expectations. Click. Maybe. What's in your glass? Does it matter? Does it matter? All right, just click through these really quickly. Just try to stay on the thing. All right, some of you aren't going to like me for some of the slides I have up there, but you have freedom in Christ. You have freedom in Christ. What's in your glass depends on your conviction that the Holy Spirit has laid on you. Not mine. This is not my righteous police to tell you what you can and can't have in your glass. Now, I want to be sensitive to this because I come from a house where my mom didn't want us um, drinking alcohol. Obviously, that makes sense. We were like four. <laughs> Go figure. I don't know why. But that's because before she came to Christ, she struggled with alcohol. 
It ruled her life. And she didn't want that for her kids. Her mom didn't really care what she wanted because every time we went to my grandmother's house for New Year's, we all had little glasses of wine that we could like have. The point is that what's in your drink isn't going to make you more loved by God. Okay? It's, that's not what it's about. Okay. I know some of you have this expectation that godly people have neat houses. Right? Can you tell which person is more godly? Is it the person on the left's house or the person on the right's house? Like, I, it seems like because you, everything you do, you're supposed to do unto the Lord. That's not what this means, though, right? That's not really what this is saying. Right? Some of us are neat and some of us are messy. And just because you're messy doesn't mean you're less loved by God or less effective as a tool for Him. And just because you're tidy, guess what? You could be whacked in a lot of different ways. Okay? So, I think we have to... Here's what it comes down to, ultimately. I think we have to give one another grace and space. This next one is my like nemesis, right? Be on time, be on time. I've got a really, pretty, for the most part, a really good clock inside me. And God's blessed me with family. that We don't all have a good clock inside of us. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Because God loves us. He loves us for us, not because we're on time or we're not on time. Not because we dress nicely or we don't dress nicely, right? Not because you are at every event the church does. I am very thankful for those of you who are here for Fall Festival. Thank you. It seemed like it was an effective outreach for many, and there was a lot of hard work that went into that. And so I sincerely thank you. But if you didn't take part in that, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and that you're not an effective minister of the gospel. Do you hear me? It's not about expectations that others have on you. It's about the Holy Spirit inside of you moving you to minister. And we have to trust the Holy Spirit in each other. Does that make sense? That's hard. I think that's hard. It's hard for me to look at somebody whose little kid is dressing up for Halloween like Freddy Krueger. And I, and I think to myself, you know what? Okay, maybe not a choice I would have made. But is there freedom in Christ? And I know some of you are going to be like, no, 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 not there. No, Freddy's out. Right? That's, or that weird clown dude who's killing everybody, right? I mean, and maybe we have a, a talk with someone and say, you know, I'm curious. But let's not judge one another. Let's not condemn one another because the Holy Spirit inside of us hasn't convicted us for that for one reason or another. 
Now, maybe if you really feel passionate about it, you can pray the Holy Spirit would convict. Okay? I don't even know if that's... Uh, raise the hands. Is that okay? Should we do that? Elders, am I going to get kicked off here soon for saying that? Okay. So... Go ahead. <clears throat> Last point. And you're like, thank you, Jesus. He's almost done. <laughs> Look, see, you weren't even looking at your clock till I said that, were you? Okay. <clears throat> I have to teach Sunday school after this. So, hey, I got to get going. Okay. <clears throat> Christ's work on the cross calls you into a deep relationship with him. We've talked about the fact that you're not required to do all of these things. But I want to encourage you, don't settle for just being good. Don't settle for just ticking off boxes and making sure that you're doing all the things that your culture says you should do. And by culture, I mean, you look around, I, can't, I don't even think I could name all the things we've added to Christianity, to Christ's grace. Right? I, I didn't ask Ella for, if I could use this example, but hopefully she'll forgive me. <laughs> or just quickly give me it, no matter what. I, okay, good. Ella has a lot on her plate oftentimes, and, um, and she, uh, she works really hard. She does, and, um, and that's a blessing. And um, she played tennis this past season, and, um, and I was at a tennis match for hers. I've come to decide that I really don't watch, like watching individual sports. I like watching group sports because then I don't like, feel all like, why did you miss that? So Ella was having a really great ground stroke day and a horrific net day. And, um, and I'm like, every time she hits the ball, I'm like, I had my racket. I was turning it the right way. I was doing, I, like, I, I don't know why I wasn't helping you, but it, was, it wasn't helping. Right? And, I, and finally, I'm just like, oh, and I lay over. I'm like, and <laughs> I think she saw me do it. And my wife leans over to me and she says, it's not like she's sinning. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. You're right. It didn't help me in the moment, but you're right. <laughs> it's not like she's sinning. She has an assignment due. Um, I think it was in Trig. And she had so much going on, she didn't get it done. And she went to her teacher and she said, said, I'm sorry, I just didn't have a chance to get this done. Can I, can I turn it into you tomorrow? And instead of being berated, instead of being made to feel guilty, instead of being told that she really wasn't a good student, she was told, yeah, no problem. That's Grace. We don't all have it together all the time. Christ died for you so that you could live in his grace. And he calls you to have freedom in those things that don't diminish your relationship with him. As I was thinking about this, I just kind of, these words kind of came to me and I was thinking, all right, I'm not sure... Hopefully you don't take them as sacrilegious. But as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the cross. I was thinking, you know what? Christ drank vinegar so you could drink wine. Christ 
had his robes ripped off him so you could wear ripped jeans in church. Christ wore a crown stained in blood so you could dye your hair whatever color you feel like it. He lay in the tomb so you could lie on the couch if that's what you feel like you need to do. His love is overpowering. And as you can see up here, his love for you isn't dependent on you measuring up. Enter his rest. His burden is light. His love is immense. Let it work. Let him draw you into a real relationship beyond the scope of just doing right things. Let's pray. God, it's easy to assent to, I think, to acknowledge that, yeah, we know you love us and that our position is secured. But it's so hard to live day in and day out when we're so justice-oriented. But God, thank you that our debt was paid, that the justice has been served, that Christ took it, and that in replace, in replacement for that, he offers us freedom in him. And God, I pray that we would be real with you in our struggles, in our victories, and that we would be real with one another. And God, that we would cling to Christ, the head, through which all the growth occurs. That we would not be quick to put judgment on others and not be quick to put judgment on ourselves for those things that we have freedom in. But God, convict us so that we can walk with you. United and effective ministers of the gospel. We love you, Lord. And thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.